Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel to Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. President Joe Biden mumbled his way through an interview with late night ABC host Jimmy Kimmel last night. For nearly 25 minutes, Biden fielded some softball questions from the clearly Democrat aligned host. Gave answers that range from incoherent to utter nonsense. We'll take a look at what's really going on in the state of the Biden presidency in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. Look, we got a midterm coming up. That's the good news, right? So there'll be an opportunity for the American people to pass judgment on the politicians who have been in charge, the political party that has been calling the shots for the last 18 months, going on two years here. So that, that's the good news. So we always like to be positive and forward-leaning whenever possible. The bad news is that the imbeciles are still in charge for the foreseeable future. Joe Biden, the people around him are calling the shots for this country. Not working out well. And this is reflected, of course, in, in the realities of the various Biden administration disasters, failures, catastrophes, annoying situations that are playing out, um, and also in the poll numbers, because it turns out the American people are actually seeing themselves that Biden is not good at this. 
So Biden's on, keep in mind, hadn't done an interview in 121 days. So it's been four months since this guy actually sat down for an interview with anybody. And not that I think that the three-letter news networks, ABC or something, is so great if he sat down with Evening News or World News Tonight or whatever. But at least there's some uh, theoretical journalism that would be on display. Instead, he goes right to the easiest thing possible, which is a late-night host, uh, in this case, Jimmy Kimmel, who seems like a smarmy fellow and certainly has the understanding of politics you'd expect from, say, a, a fifth or sixth grader, not exactly an expert in civics, certainly not in the law of firearms or any policy thing that was discussed last night. But the poll numbers are showing that the American people think that Biden is just doing a crap lousy job. And he blamed the media, in fact, for those low poll numbers. Watch. There's a lot of major things we've done. But what we haven't done is we haven't been able to communicate it in a way that is... uh, um, Let me say another way. Well, see, that's kind of perfect. Yeah, we haven't been able to communicate it. But look how the press has changed. Mm -hmm. Look how the press has changed. It has changed. Oh, listen, I I get it. I know you you overstand it. You don't just understand it. You overstand it. (laughs) But here's the deal. One of the things is that it's very difficult now to have a, um, even with, with notable exceptions, even the really good reporters, they have to get the number of clicks on, on, the, on nightly news. Mm-hmm. So instead of asking a question, anyway, it just, everything gets, gets sensationalized in ways that, but I'm convinced we can get through this. We have to get through it. I mean, really, what the hell is he saying? I mean, just think about that for a second. This guy's whole job is talking, really. That's it. He doesn't know anything. He has no skill set beyond just communicating. And he's the president of the United States. He does have a lot of power. And I can't tell you what he thought he was saying there, that the media is insufficiently in his corner. Does he really say that with a straight face? Does he think that that's something that he can get away with, uh, with anybody who has even the faintest connection to reality? But there were other things, too, that Biden said that just left a lot of people saying, wait, what exactly, sir, are you talking about? Here he is saying something about biracial couples on TV and, and health care. Watch. No, I'm serious. Right, there's something to that. Yeah. No, but I'm serious. You turn on the TV, look at the ads. When's the last time you saw biracial couples on TV? When's the last time you saw the way, I mean, people are selling products. They do ads to sell products. And they sell products when people, they appeal to people. This generation is going to change everything. We just got to make sure we don't give up. There's an ability for us to do everything from increase the the, the access to education, health care. Again, honestly, what is he saying? Was he saying that we don't see enough biracial couples on TV? Because I think we actually see a lot of diversity, including biracial couples on television. So it was, but he was saying that was, we were celebrating that, but what are we then, what is he talking about? It, it just, it didn't hold together. It, it's not clear what this guy's saying at all, but you know, hey, who cares? He's the president, right? And then of course he had some nasty partisan moments because when you can't do your job well, what's the best thing you can come up with? Attack other people who don't have that job, aren't in power, Uh, On the issue of gun control, as we know, the Democrats are very 
emotionally energized. They keep shouting at everybody to do something. And we say, okay, what do you want to do? And then they say something usually that makes no sense, that wouldn't help, that's a distraction from the real issues of gun violence. And then they just keep shouting that you need to do something when you say this isn't really going to help anything. Uh, Biden claimed that you know, he, he's issuing executive orders, but he's not going to issue that many executive orders because he doesn't want to emulate Trump. This was, again, what is he saying? Watch. Can't you and, issue an executive order? Trump passed those out like Halloween candy. Yes, sir. It, well, it, I isn't that something that could happen? Well, I, I, I have issued executive orders within the power of the presidency to be able to deal with these, everything having to do with guns, gun ownership, whether or not you have to have a waiting, all, all the things that are within my power. But what I don't want to do, and I'm not being facetious, I don't want to emulate Trump's abuse of the Constitution. Oh. And Trump was giving that like candy. Again, Jimmy Kimmel has a fifth grade, fifth grade child's understanding of politics, but you know, he's paid millions of dollars to you know, basically make glorify, glorified uh, flatulence jokes on television. And here we are now being told by Biden that he doesn't want to be like Trump in the use of executive orders. Turns out Biden's actually issued more executive orders and at a faster rate than Trump at this point in Trump's presidency. And Biden's also been blocked and overturned in the courts on a variety of executive orders. And by the way, they wanted to do that whole executive order effectively or that, uh, that bureaucratic uh, lawmaking maneuver. It's not really lawmaking, uh, where they were gonna make everybody get a shot that had 100 or more employees, remember that? So the Supreme Court was like, no, you can't actually do that. You can't actually get away with that. Biden also, by the way, because the economy stinks, and he knows that's a huge political risk, a huge political liability for his team going forward, is trying to tell everybody that the economy is growing really fast, fastest growing in the world. Watch. Look, here's where we are. We have the fastest growing economy in the world. The world. The world. Why is he repeating the world? Also... U.S. economy shrank last quarter, and if it shrinks again, we're in what's called a recession. But that's also in what's called reality, which is not the place where Joe Biden lives. He also spoke about, remember, this is the President of the United States. He wants gun control. Spoke about those 300-round magazines that we have to worry about. Watch. you got to make sure that this becomes a voting issue. It's got to be one of those issues where you decide your position on the issue of senator or candidate for House or Senate on what we're going to do on us with assault weapons and how have to have, maybe they'll have 300 rounds in a magazine. And mag- I mean, what you say on those things is going to determine how I'm going to vote for you. Yeah, I, I want to see some of these 300 round magazines that he's so concerned about. Show me one of those, Mr. Commander in Chief. We got more on all this with author and columnist David Marcus in a moment. Let's talk about protecting your data first. Companies are always promising you, oh, they've got your privacy guaranteed, but they don't. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communications based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. Without real security, people can read your emails, messages, even your bank information. Secure will never mine your data and never ask for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, anyone else without being worried about whether big tech is spying on you. Secure is your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. It costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combination package. 
Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com and use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. Support for my podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with its exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code BUCK at manscaped.com. The Performance Package 4.0 includes a ton of men's grooming products like the Lawn Mower 4.0 Trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a bunch of other great men's hygiene products you never knew you needed, plus a travel bag to hold it all. The Lawn Mower Trimmer is the best. It's got a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, and it's waterproof, so no more messes on the bathroom floor. You'll also get the waterproof Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer with proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in all those delicate areas. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BUCK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BUCK to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools with Manscaped. There weren't a lot of laughs, but a lot of nonsensical rambling for sure from President Joe Biden last night on the set of late night talk show Jimmy Kimmel Live. At one point, Biden called inflation the bane of our existence, saying that high food and gas prices could be offset by legislation, lowering the cost of prescription drugs and child care. Really? Take a look. Inflation is the, is, is, the, is the bane of our existence. Inflation is mostly in food and in gasoline at, yeah. at the pump. That's what kills you, because it's well, a little billboard telling you, everyone you every, how expensive but, everything but, is. But here's the deal. You know, my dad used to say every, every family is a little bit of breathing room. If you take and look at all the costs that a family has on a monthly basis, it also includes health care, prescription drugs, child care, all those things. What I'm proposing we get, and I think we can get it done, I'm proposing that we, in fact, reduce the cost of those things. Joining me now with reaction, columnist and author David Marcus. David, good to see you. Thanks for having me, Buck. 121 days, no interviews. This is the performance that he gives. This is the venue he chooses. What do you think? You know, when he talks about gas prices, there, there's, a, there's a great Woody Allen short story called If the Impressionists Were Dentists, right? And, and at one point in it, Vincent Van Gogh, as a dentist, is writing to his brother Theo, and he says, I'm being sued by Mrs. Saul Schwimmer because I built her bridge as I felt it not to fit her ridiculous mouth. That's how the Biden administration treats the American people. They deeply feel that we need to get off gas. We need to get off of fossil fuels. Everyone needs an electric vehicle. If you have the money for it, they'll even kick in a few bucks. The problem is that no matter how deeply they feel this, it doesn't fit the American lifestyle. Americans can't chew with this bridge in their mouth. They can't afford gas. They can't get to work. And it would be bad enough if the Biden administration didn't have an answer to this. But they do seem to have an answer. And their answer seems to be shut up and suffer. We're saving the planet. I don't know what to do with that, Buck. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me that they want us to simultaneously believe 
that climate change is an existential threat and therefore we have to have an all of the above approach, emergency measures, fossil fuel economy, the fossil fuel economy is obviously an enormous contributor to the CO2 that they think, I would argue obviously quite wrongly, is going to destroy the planet in a matter of decades. Um, but then they also turn around and say, well, but we don't do anything to make it harder for the fossil fuel industry. Well, which is it? And then the next day they'll say, well, they're gouging you with their price increases. So it can't be both, right? It can't be the world's going to end unless we stop using fossil fuels as, you know, right away. But we have no problem with fossil fuels. No. And I mean, it, apparently it's fine as long as we're getting it from Venezuela and Saudi Arabia. I, you know, it, somehow, as long as dictators are producing the oil, the, the, the climate effects are fine. And look, there's a logic behind that, right? They want Americans to pay this price for their wild Green New Deal dreams. I mean, this is just becoming more and more apparent. And Jimmy Kimmel's actually kind of trying to help Joe Biden out there, right? He's like, listen, these are billboards. As Americans drive down the street, they see this and it's reminding them like every 10 minutes how bad a job you're doing. Uh, but there's no adjustment, uh, you know, and, and don't expect one, Buck. You know, Biden knows that the economy is a huge drag on his party's fortunes right now going into the uh, midterm election season, which we're really going to hit into high gear in just a few months. And so one of the things that they've tried, you know, one day it's Putin's price hike. It's not Biden's fault. The next day it's actually the economy is really good. We, you know, we reduced the deficit by a lot. Watch. Here's where we are. We have the fastest growing economy in the world, the world, the world. We have 8.6 million new jobs just since I got in office. Unemployment rates down to 3.6%. We've reduced the deficit last year by $320 billion. This year, we're going to reduce it by $1.7 trillion, trillion dollars. Right. And so we're the strongest economy, and that's allowed us at least to stay on top of and a little bit ahead of what's happening around the world. The economy shrank last quarter. We're all on the brink of a recession, but he's telling us it's amazing. And oh, by the way, comparing deficits this year to deficits when there were literal additional trillions of emergency spending because of a once in a century pandemic doesn't seem very honest. No, but, but apparently it's a, it's a communications problem, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's not a gas prices problem. It, it, it's not an inflation problem. Um, it, it's not a foreign affairs problem. Uh, it's a communications problem. And Joe Biden goes on Jimmy Kimmel to, to try to fix it. And, uh, you know, you know, my favorite moment of, 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 of last night's performance, you know, Joe Biden is like a is like a non player character in a video game. Now there's like eight things he's still able to say. One of them is his constant amazement at interracial or he calls them biracial couples in television advertisements. And it's like, yeah, Joe, you know, we drink from the same water fountains, too. You know, I, I just I, I imagine Jill sitting there as they watch TV and every commercial break, Joe's just like, oh, she's married to a black man. I mean, it's 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 a problem. It's it's he just says the same things, a little bit of breathing room, you know, all the stuff about Bo. He just says the same things over and over. And I. I don't know, Buck. It's uh, yeah. I mean, dude, it all, it all strikes me, David, as, as as so phony. 
I mean, I sit there and I know it is. He's going to say, not a joke. And he's going to say, I'm not being facetious. And he's going to say, just a little bit of breathing room. He's going to say, you know, folks at the kitchen table. Yeah. It's the same freaking speech or the same, you know, lines strewn together. Every day he ever talks about it on any topic. It doesn't matter. And it's like, it's amazing this guy got away with this, this total bullcrap. I'm good old Joe from Scranton with the rolled up sleeves who cares about the working folks paying their bills. Joe Biden has been a swamp creature for the last 40 years. He's got a $5 million beach house in Rehoboth. His moron drug addict son got paid like $8 million by the Chinese Communist Party for promising extra access to pop. But he cares so much about the guys carrying their lunch pails to work on the assembly line? Who believes this? Maybe he's not a moron. (laughs) Seems like a pretty good payday. Yes. I I mean, look, uh, this is an old political family that, you know, this, this this is how old Northeast Irish politics used to work. It's a lot of patronage. It's a lot of, you know, who you can get jobs for. It's who Joe Biden's always been. Um, but it is it is very amusing now to watch this play out on the national stage and have, you know, outlets like The New York Times and CNN pretend like nothing weird's happening here. The uh, approval ratings, by the way, Quinnipiac, most recent poll here, 33 percent approval. I mean, we're, we're getting down now to the hardcore Democrat base, right? I mean, once you're it, it, anything below 30 and the only people that approve are Democrats who would vote for Joe Biden if he took his skin off like a suit and turned out to be a lizard person from outer space. Yeah, I mean, he's not much more popular than COVID. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, it's a, but, 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 that's, but, but that's the broader point, right? Is like under, uh, under any other administration, there would have been a shift here. There would have been an adjustment. This administration doesn't care about Joe Biden. Joe Biden was a Trojan horse. He's absolutely disposable. Um, and they will let his numbers run as low as possible as long as they can get, you know, as many crazy progressive ideas past the goalie as possible. And they're going to do it, Buck. They're, they're going to do this student loan thing, right? They're going to yeah. get some of this stuff. So, you know, look, they're not, they're not stupid. I, I'd like to say they're stupid. You know, they're not. They're, they're going to get some things. Yeah, reckless may be a better word, but uh, that's where we yeah. are. David Marcus, appreciate you being with us. Thanks, man. We continue to learn more about the would-be assassin who was arrested outside the home of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. We'll have the latest on that story with senior editor at The Federalist, David Harsanyi, coming up. But first, let's talk about protecting your home. I don't know if you saw this, but there was a recent story about an Arizona real estate agent found out the home she lived in was listed for sale. The problem was she wasn't actually selling her home. She was the victim of home title fraud, a devastating crime happening all over the country. According to the experts at Home Title Lock, the crime is incredibly profitable and hard to detect. An identity thief simply creates a fake title transfer for your home and refiles as the new owner. Then he can take out loans on your home or sell it. Typical identity theft services don't cover you and neither does homeowner's insurance. Home Title Lock does. Home Title Lock puts a barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect anyone tampering with your home's title, they help shut it down and help get your home back in your name. Here's what you should do. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and read the testimonials from FBI agents and government officials. Then register your address to see if you're already a victim and don't even know it. When you protect your home, tell them Buck Sexton sent you to get 30 free days of protection. HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. David Harsani stops by in a moment. 
I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. So that was Senator Chuck Schumer back in 2020, sounding an awful lot like he's calling for consequences, perhaps even inciting violence against the sitting Supreme Court justices. Uh, suspect Nicholas Roski has been arrested, fast forward of course to today, and charged with the attempted murder or kidnapping of Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. This man was arrested less than a block from Kavanaugh's Maryland home in possession of a handgun, knife, zip ties, and burglary tools, among other things. Roski also made a deranged 911 call to police as a warning before he attempted to find the justice's home. The New York Post reports, California man was incensed about the leaked Supreme Court draft opinion, and he was arrested near Justice Brett Kavanaugh's Maryland home Wednesday after he hatched a plan to kill the jurist to, quote, give his life purpose. Joining me now to discuss senior editor at The Federalist, David Arsani. David, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So this is officially someone arrested for attempted murder of a sitting Supreme Court justice. I don't, I don't know how much uh, digging around you did, David, into the uh, Democrat media, but this was covered, if at all, as like a page seven midway down the fold story in a way, it was pretty shocking. No mention of it at all last night on PBS Airwaves or on PBS's website. It may, may have updated it today, but this happened yesterday. Uh, it was a minor news item in either the New York Times or the Washington Post. I can't remember now which one it was. But if this had been, uh, let's say you had uh, Sotomayor under similar threat with a pending decision, does anyone think that the media wouldn't act like this was the great? And by the way, it is a, a grave threat too the uh, institutions of our government. But feels like the partisanship is all that really matters to a lot of the folks in the media. Well, yeah, doesn't it get tiring to always say, imagine if it had been, you know, a, a liberal who this happened to, you know, or, or whatever, you'd have, you know, we'd have, be, we'd be in the midst of a national conversation about right-wing violence. Um, you know, it, it, it would be front page news. We'd still be talking, we'd be talking about it all the time on every single cable network. And these people just simply don't care because um, they are the people who incite and instigate this sort of thing. And it's not just, I'm not saying that Chuck Schumer in, you know, is, is, is responsible for the actions of a madman, but I will say that it's, not, it's, it's the constantly calling people child murderers, fascists, insurrectionists. You're talking about people on the right and dehumanizing them. So if I thought those things were true that they said, I would pick up a gun too. I mean, we'd all want to pick up guns. It would be a rational thing to do, but it's of course an insidious lie. And yet they do it all the time. And it's, it's just this whole rhetoric that you see on MSNBC that now you hear senators. I mean, Chuck Schumer is a very powerful man. And the things he said in that clip, I mean, they're, they're specific threats to specific people. It's just insanity. Yeah, I mean, to anyone who would say, well, oh, he's just talking about, what, political consequences? They have lifetime appointments to the Supreme Court. What, right. well, how, how are they going to feel the fury of the public for a decision that some leftist lunatics don't like? I mean, there's, you know, it's not like when you're running against somebody in the you know, general election, you're saying, oh, you know, you're going to feel the fury of, at the ballot box. I mean, these, are, these are judges. He did have to step back from that and apologize. But, I mean, I, I also can't 
forgive or forget that in the immediate aftermath of the leak of the draft opinion, David, and the protests outside some of these judges, including Kavanaugh's home, which are explicitly, clearly illegal under federal statute. And as I've explained this to anybody who asks, oh, okay, so if I'm being prosecuted, I can hire a mob to go stand outside the home of my prosecutor screaming crazy stuff. That's the justice system we think we're allowed to have. So, uh, Jen Psaki at the time was saying, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff that people are upset about. So no big deal for these protests outside Supreme Court justices' homes. And it's conservative justices, let's be honest. Yeah, of course. I mean, they would never let this happen to, to, to the others. But I'll say that, you know, you make a good point. These are lifetime appointments for a reason. They're lifetime appointments because we don't want justices pressured by, by politics, by protests, by picketing. And yet the Senate, the Senate leader tells people to go to, to the, the president. They actually said, I think Saki said like something like, you know, it's just part of the process or whatever she said. It was basically encouragement for people to go and pressure politically lifetime lifetime judges. I mean, it, it, it's it's an attack on, on separation of power. It's an attack on, on civility and decency. I'm all, listen, I'm basically a First Amendment um, you know, absolutist. I mean, if you want to, you know, go on the street and yell at people, you know, from, you know, decent, you know, decent space, that's fine by me. But there, but to have our leaders, to have left wing leaders basically inciting and egging on these people, that is completely out of line. And, uh, you know, and that's why I think part of the reason why they don't cover this stuff. You wrote in The Federalist, David, that normally I wouldn't blame Democrats for the actions of extremists. The problem is that not only does the left continue to push the boundaries with Schumer-like threats, but they are engaged in the relentless daily smearing of their political opponents as seditious, vote-stealing, child-murdering fascists and insurgents. If this were true, violence would be justified, but it's just a sinister lie. I mean, I, I do think that, uh, that we have reached a point now where you have the total normalization of, uh, from the left, from the Democrats, of treating anyone who would cast a vote for any Republican as effectively a threat to our government. I mean, that's what this whole insurrection thing is all about. They don't care about the, you know, the, the, the very foolish and uh, simple-minded and, and, you know, in some cases criminal, depending on what they did, people that were actually in the Capitol on January 6th. It's about everybody. It's about everyone who ever casts a vote for a Republican. Yeah. Have you noticed that you know, I've noticed that people demand that I take some kind of ownership of people who went into the Capitol. I don't have anything to do with them. I don't agree with what they did. I don't probably even agree with their philosophical ideas if they have any ideas. I don't know if they had any. But yet you have a person who tries to wipe out Bernie Sanders fan tries to wipe out Republican leadership. Or you have someone showing up at someone's house or you have a summer of rioting and, you know, and murder and and, you know, the destruction of the lives of thousands of people. And no, they don't take any any ownership of that. They don't they just disconnect from it like it has zero to do with their rhetoric. Well, it can't, you, you know, again, we're trying, you know, they want us to play by, by two sets of rules and that you can't have a civil society, a functioning democratic republic when you have two sets of rules where you put, you know, when one person doesn't show up for a subpoena, you put him in shackles and the other guy gets, a, you know, it, nothing happens to him. I mean, you just simply can't function that way. And that's literally what's happening. I know I'm jumping all over, but I think these things are, are connected. Agree with you. By the way, DeSantis had a good statement on the Kavanaugh threat situation. He said it wasn't even just the fact that this guy was looking to murder someone, which is very serious in itself, that it was being done in service of changing the outcome 
at the judicial branch of government. And that is really, really problematic. I mean, this is someone who was looking to alter the course of this nation through violence. And it's coming at a time when Democrats are suggesting that people who don't agree with them are a threat to the government itself. Yeah, I mean, the leak itself, most likely, almost surely, was meant to put pressure on the justices who, who might turn overturn Roe v. Wade. And the, the things that, you know, the, a Senate leader is standing on the steps of, the, of SCOTUS yelling about consequences is trying to make them intimidate those judges. This is just, it's outlandish. I don't even know, historically speaking, certainly in modern history, nothing like this has happened. I mean, the closest I can think of is when Barack Obama sort of berated the, 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 the Supreme Court for upholding the First Amendment. But other than that, I really, I really can't think of any comparable situation to this. David, appreciate times. joining us. Thanks for being here. Thank you. A joke has led to a civil war breaking out within the Washington Post's cubicles. Writers publicly slamming the paper on one another. We have more on that with the host of the First Watch podcast, Steve Krakow, coming up. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. A nasty civil war has broken out among writers at the Washington Post. It all started last week when Post reporter David Weigel retweeted a joke that read, every girl is bi, you just have to figure out if it's polar or sexual. Okay, a bit off color, but of course, the Twitter mob was quick to react to the retweet, and Weigel, who has been suspended for a month without pay, was forced to apologize. Enter Felicia Sonmez, a Washington Post political reporter who decided to add to the pylon as well as bash the Washington Post itself. She tweeted, fantastic to work at a news outlet where retweets like this are allowed. The tweets have now led to almost a week of open warfare between writers supporting Sonmez and others who are coming to the newspaper's defense. Join me now to break this all down, host of the First Watch podcast, Steve Krakauer. Steve, thanks for being here, man. Oh, fuck, this is, this is a good one. <laughs> this is classic. Yeah, this, this is quite a, quite a melee inside of the Bezos post. What's, what happened? I mean, we gave the basic outline, but how'd this go down? Yeah, no, and that, that's that's how it all started on on Friday. You know, Dave does, tweets constantly. I mean, it, we have to preface all of this by saying it involves a lot of people who spend way, way, way too much time on their phones, on Twitter. Fresh air could really solve a lot of problems in this, in this entire war that's happening. But okay, Dave's on there, tweets that joke. Felicia, who's been involved actually in a lawsuit with the Washington Post, which was recently dismissed, but still works there. She then goes on, and I, and I, I don't want to, like, there were hundreds of tweets that she has put out about this story in the last week. She has just gone, you know, scorched earth war against her own paper. And they have tried, the, the new female editor, Sally Busby, has tried multiple times to say, look, we respect what you've done. Suspended Dave Weigel, you know, for a month without pay for a stupid retweet, which he immediately unretweeted and apologized for. Not enough. 
She has been asked, Felicia has been asked multiple times to stop arguing about this on Twitter. Maybe, you know, have a conversation offline about it. No, no, that is not happening. And now, as you mentioned, there's there's these camps that we're seeing, right? There are the people who are saying almost propaganda messages about how great it is to work with the humans at the Washington Post and all our friends, and it's so nice. And then Felicia and her friends being like, look at these people, all they are are white and entitled, and they don't know what it's really like to be at the Washington Post. By the way, Felicia is white as well. It's, it's a total cluster, and it's, it's hilarious from the outside. So you had uh, this tweet from one writer, Jose Del Real, accusing Sonmez of cruelty. He tweeted, fighting sexism and misogyny matters deeply to me. I will always admire your bravery in sharing your story, and I support your fight against retribution for doing so. Entirely separately, I hope you reconsider the cruelty you regularly unleash against colleagues. Ooh, what was that all about? Yeah, Jose Del Real, who, who identified himself in that conversation as the only Mexican, and by the way, he's gay as well, uh, on the Washington Post national desk. This is uh, Pride Month. Felicia Lynn turned her her sights onto him, and she just went after him, and she is still going after him. He he then had to shut down his account, lock it, and and when when I tell you that she's not satisfied, I mean she will not be satisfied until this guy, this gay Mexican colleague of hers, is suspended as well for daring to to challenge her in that way. So yeah, no, no, it, it, he is now in her sights. There's multiple people that she's now taking it out on, including the dozens of people that we saw earlier this week tweeting messages of support for the Washington Post saying, you know, we're not perfect, but we try to get it right and we try to be a place for inclusivity. None of that's good enough. All those people are, are Felicia just wants to just you know, knock them down one by one. And I, I don't know what you could do. I mean, obviously, you could fire Felicia, and then you, she will sue the newspaper again. But it's an HR nightmare that's playing out on Twitter for everyone to see, rather than behind the scenes, like a lot of these things used to do, or like normal people might actually engage with their colleagues in that way behind the scenes. I have a problem with this. No, no, Felicia, it's all about gaining more and more followers and more and more clout that she seems to be getting from this whole ordeal. Washington Post executive editor Sally Busby sent a memo to the newsroom apparently this week. She wrote, we do not tolerate colleagues attacking colleagues either face-to-face or online. Respect for others is critical to any civil society, including our newsroom. The newsroom social media policy points specifically to the need for collegiality. I have a feeling, though, that the collegiality clause, that's not going to be enforced the same way the you better not be sexist or make any jokes I don't like or else clause. No, no, no. If if it was being enforced, I think Felicia would be no longer employed at the Washington Post uh, or at least be suspended like her buddy Dave, who, by the way, she recently shared a byline with. She identified Dave in her original tweet storm as a good friend of hers. (laughs) This is what she's done to a person who's a good friend of hers. And I don't want to make it about Felicia Sanmez. I mean, look, she obviously, I, I think that there's some serious. She seems like a lunatic. I mean, I'll say it. You don't have to say it. She seems like a crazy person to me. I look at her, I look at Taylor Lorenz, who, who, by the way, has actually stayed mostly out of the fray, but is her colleague uh, at the Washington Post, who also constantly gets herself in these in these sort of reality TV journalism wars that are happening and playing out on Twitter. It's about the Washington Post and their, as you mentioned, their hypocrisy in applying the rules. I mean, if you would imagine that if Felicia was doing this, but she was not who she was, and she was Dave Weigel, or she was someone else in the newsroom and just was unrepentant about attacking her own colleagues publicly, there would be repercussions. But in this case, we're now on day seven of this, and she's still going. She just keeps going and going and going. 
I uh, definitely have to ask you as well, uh, Steve, about the primetime January 6th committee presentation tonight. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the greatest show on earth, that's for sure. Democrats are trying to pump this thing up like it's the Super Bowl. What are you expecting? What's going to happen? Yeah, the, the biggest hell in all of this is the fact that they have moved a congressional hearing from a normal time in the morning or the afternoon to prime time, 8 p.m. tonight on every channel. And they've gone and hired the former head of ABC News, James Goldston, to produce this hearing. I mean, it's completely absurd and outlandish and so over the top and hyperbolic. It's you, you can imagine that this is what they have to do to try to gin up interest in it, to try to, to you know, make some headlines from it or maybe try to get some, some you know, wind at the sails of the Democrats' 2022 plans. I don't expect a lot. Look, I, I, I'll be tuning in. I'm probably one of the very few people who's interested in this from, you know, from my job. But I, I just can't imagine we're going to find out much new. And, and the, the most telling thing is if we were going to find anything new, shouldn't they have told us already? Why, why do we need to hold it until 8 p.m. on Thursday night? You know, oh, it's not going to conflict with the NBA finals. You know, that was last night. That's tomorrow night. No, no, this is the, this is the January 6th commission's big night to reveal something. I'd be shocked if we find anything we haven't already seen. And it's just the same rehash of what we've heard for the last 17 months about a single riot that happened at the Capitol. I don't think it's going to be bombshells. I think it's going to be nothing burgers. But Steve, I know you're going to be watching closely, so I'll have to have you back to talk about what went down. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks, Buck. Baby formula isn't the only thing missing from shelves across the country. There's now a pet food shortage as well. What's next? We'll get into that and more in Quick Hits. Shortage of aluminum cans and manufacturers having a tough time getting raw ingredients has led to a pet food shortage across the country. Biden is still playing the mask charade game, by the way. These stories and quick hits. Let's get into it. Look, masks are dumb. That's right. We all know it. Think about it for a little, for a little bit. They're telling you, uh, as of a couple days ago, the CDC was saying, mask up to prevent monkeypox. There have been 20 monkeypox cases roughly in the whole country, and it's spread by close skin-to-skin contact, but mask up to prevent monkeypox? It just doesn't make any sense, right? But the whole mask thing now has just turned into a obey, do what we tell you to do. You know, mask up between bites. Yeah, that's really scientific because when you're eating your sandwich, you're not breathing in the same air that you would be if you didn't have the mask on before that. It's all so stupid, folks. And we keep getting more and more evidence of this as political and virtue signaling instead of having anything to do with epidemiology or science. And this is a great example of it. I mean, Joe Biden, who I assume is now quad-vaxxed, right? First dose, second dose, booster, and now probably another booster, you know, super boosted. Uh, here he is backstage at the Jimmy Kimmel show. And you'll, you'll see, he makes sure as the cameras are on that he takes off his mask to show that he's wearing a mask backstage. But why? He's walking to sit down with Jimmy Kimmel. What, is, what point does that make? Well, just, you know... The smart people wear masks, the dumb people think. Here's Joe Biden. The 46th president of the United States, Joe Biden. <laughs> Gotta take that mask off. And why not leave it on for the interview? Why does he want to expose Jimmy Kimmel to possible COVID? Oh my gosh. It's amazing, isn't it? This is like Joe Biden who wears a mask outside alone and then takes it off when he goes indoors in the White House, which he frequently does, by the way. 
Does anyone want to try to defend this? Does anyone think this is not stupid? I would love that person to say, Buck Sexton, let's have a debate over this. This is intelligent. What Joe Biden's doing makes sense. These are the people that are telling you you have to mask up on planes. They're all idiots and sheep. Anyway, here's a statement from a general manager at a pet store in Minnesota. Food brands are promising they're going to be, uh, get better in the next four and six months. Others are saying it might be up to a year before we see some of their products back in stock. It really is kind of a wave of one week. It's 10 brands. Another week, it may be a brand that has a shortage. So it really depends on a weekly basis. So there is a pet food shortage out there to add to the woes we've already seen from the baby formula shortage. Kathy Hochul, by the way, has this act. Do you know what? I'm going to say it. This is actually not bad. If they do a good job redesigning Penn Station, I would like that because Penn Station in New York City is gross. It used to be beautiful. They destroyed what was beautiful and replaced it with something gross. Grand Central is beautiful. They managed to at least keep that the way it is. But Penn Station is like, uh, you know, the seedy, not, not uh, aesthetically pleasing place in any regard. The governor of New York, who is not very smart, but maybe she can get something right here, has announced a rebuild plan for Penn Station but you described living in New York City in a way that got some people's attention. Watch. It'll be larger than the concourse space of Moynihan Hall and the Great Hall of Grand Central Terminal. And I love this best. 460-foot-high atrium and a skylight that reminds you that, yes, the heavens are out there still, despite the feeling that you may be living in hell. Okay. <laughs> okay. Kind of weird. I mean, New York City's not in its best moment right now, but that was just a weird statement. I didn't really know what she thought she was saying. Biden, by the way, bashed the, I'm sorry, DeSantis bashed the Biden administration for easing restrictions on Venezuelan oil, but not encouraging more domestic production. Watch. Most have gone up in Germany and these other, a lot of these other European countries because of the policies, because they're trying to do this. And someone's going to have to explain to me how you don't want energy from your own country because of global warming, but you can get it from Maduro and some of these thugs, and somehow that, is that different oil? Or, I mean, what am I missing here? Of course not. It's politics. It's ideology. And it's based on this notion that somehow you can run a modern economy uh, without using the energy re resources that we have. And we were energy independent prior to Biden taking office, and now that is changing in a big, big way. And you feel it at the pump. Uh, more than ever. Uh, it's, a, it's the highest I've ever seen gas in my life, and I was born and raised in Florida. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields high. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has supported our nation's heroes and their families ever since. Heroes like Marine Corps Sergeant Adam Mayo, 
He served our nation for over seven years before he was severely injured during training. He was left paralyzed from the chest down, severely limiting his ability to move around his home independently. Tunnel to Towers paid Sergeant Mayo's mortgage, removing a financial burden for him and his family. The foundation gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his specific needs. Tunnel to Towers helped severely injured service members and first responders, as well as Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders. It has already come to the aid of so many heroes and their families by providing mortgage-free homes. The foundation is also committed to eradicating veteran homelessness. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 